prospect of me traveling again in the future. So um, that would be nice to see some of you face to face. We'll see how things develop along those lines. This week, of course, we uh, experienced the uh, passing of Carnarita Das, Archon City's husband, my dear friend, god brother, who was a very um, central member to our uh, Sangha, especially in the United States. Um, he introduced me to so many uh, devotees and uh, had been listening to my classes for years and years and years. So um, it's. Uh, it was a bit of a surprise to me, although I knew he was um, in a in a that he had a cancer and he was dealing with it for really for a few years. But um, uh, he set a very good example for all of us, so it's very inspiring for those of you who knew him to remember him in that regard. Kind of the epitome of sincerity, I would say, which has the capacity to make up for any other shortcomings anyone may have. Um, that was overriding uh, quality or characteristic. And um, with that, you can't go wrong. So um, that was a big event and we uh, remember him fondly. So um, with that, as I say, everything else is pretty much the same still working on the different uh, books, publications, um, videos, and, and so forth with Darshan Press. And with that, why don't we go ahead and take the questions? Sure. Um, so Pamanava Swami, do you want to um, ask the questions from the devotees in Colombia? Yes, thank you for the question. Of course, it's uh, appropriate to venerate, to worship uh, Janava Talkarani. She was the consort, the principal consort of two, really, uh, consorts of Nityananda Prabhu. And um, after the passing of Nityananda Prabhu, she became prominent in the lineage of Nityananda Prabhu and his followers, his followers up to that date, um, the time of his passing, um, followers who had under his inspiration and direction begun initiating disciples, forming lineages and so forth, <clears throat> streams of Sakyarasa coming from the fountain of Nityananda Prabhu, um, um, up until the point of his passing, they they were the prominent representatives of the line. But with the passing of Nityananda Prabhu, uh, Janava became a prominent um, initiating guru um, as well. However, that coincided more or less with the um, manifestation of the Goswami's uh, theological writings that uh, focused the Sampradaya in a sense on its highest reach of Madhuri Rasa, depicting um, as those texts did uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as as um, being Krishna in pursuit of the experience of Radha's love for himself. Um, and Janavi became a champion of that idea. And so that at that point in the Dinanapurva's lineage, um, it was all of the uh, Dwarasago Pauls for example, the 12 cowherds in Gorlila who were, as I say, initiating under the direction of Nityananda Prabhu, they were elderly at this point. 
and they had either passed away or began to uh, pass away. And uh, she became Najjanaba, the prominent uh, representative in the line of Nityananda which now had begun through her to represent um, Madhuri Rasa. And she had a couple of prominent disciples, Virachandra Goswami and Ramchandra Goswami. Um, they didn't seem to get it, see eye to eye about everything. And the latter of the two, Ramchandra Goswami, also known as Ramai Thakur, he started his own um, branch hmm, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism that um, emphasized Madhuri Rasa. And in some ways, uh, with regard to Nidananda Tattva, Balaram Tattva, departed from the uh, clear teachings on Nidananda Tattva found in the Goswami's books. He sought to maybe add something from his perspective. Um, and um, those insights were not uh, widely accepted by any, by any uh, measure in the Sampradaya, if not uh, ignored. Um, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur comes in the line of Ramai Thakur from Janava Thakurani. Um, it's interesting to note that um, in his own Dasmula Rasa, a book of long book of Bipin Bihari Goswami, the initiating guru of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he took exception to the existing manuscripts at that time um, that were prominent over the centuries in the lineage coming from Ramai Thakur, Bamsi Siksha, um, what was the other, there's a couple others. Um, Rari Vilas, yeah, I think there's a third one as well, in which there are a lot of elements uh, found that he took exception to and um, considered to be interpolation. Um, Bhaktivinoda Thakur seems to take exception, take an exception to those things and some other things, specifically with regard to uh, Rasa Tattva concerning Nityanandapu and Balaram. Um, he took exception to it by way of never uh, citing the books, never citing those, those notions. Um, basically, uh, Ramayat Thakur tried to fit uh, the Dinandabru and Balaram into Madhurya Rasa, which without going into it in any depth is, should be clear to most devotees, is, a, is quite different than the, than the lens through which we are, are uh, given a view of Balaram and Dinanda from the Goswami's uh, texts. <clears throat> So Bhaktivinoda Thakur did not go down that uh, road. And uh, there are, uh, uh, in those, those, those influences, he did not uh, support. In fact, he spoke out against them without directly mentioning um, those texts and where some of those ideas uh, appear. Um, ideas that include Gornagarbha, for example, the idea that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu could be worshipped in Parakya Bhava um, and so forth. Um, so uh, just a little bit about that um, lineage. Bhaktivinoda took had the took the uh, theological liberty to uh, uh, despite those influences in his line, that Siksha to uh, disregard it, to avoid it, and to, um, in his literature, remain chaste in this regard. For example, Nityananda Tattva, uh, chaste to the the picture, the the, the 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 teachings of the Goswamis on this uh, this Tattva. Um, so, uh, again, that's just a little bit about the lineage. But Janava Thakurani is obviously very prominent uh, devotee um, and uh, 
uh, guru, a guru in our Gaudiya uh, Sampradaya. Um, there are uh, different ideas concerning her, uh, in particular, uh, who she is, for example, in, uh, in Krishna Leela, and there are different opinions about that. Um, uh, the opinion in the line of Bhakti Thakur was one that identified her with Anangamanjari, who is uh, thought to be a Shakti Tattva uh, expansion of Balaram, with, with whom Balaram has no romantic relationship um, whatsoever. And um, although she is the Shakti of Balaram, um, Anangamanjari, and has a romantic relationship with Krishna, and uh, also um, represents a, a particular form of Radhadasyam, not uh, extreme Radhadasyam we find in Manjari Bhava of the Goswamis. Um, the fact that she has at least a romantic and Madhurya Rasa relationship with Krishna doesn't mean that Balaram does. Um, Balaram has his own friendly relationship with Krishna. He has a Shakti, but he has no romantic relationship with himself, who has a relationship with Krishna in Madhurya Rasa. So um, I've written a long article about that. Um, I think it'll be published as an appendix in my in my book. Uh, but that said, uh, uh, certainly Jana was a powerful spiritual person. She had a very affectionate relationship with the different uh, uh, leading followers of the Dhananabhu, a couple of them of whom which uh, accompanied her in at least one of her trips to Vrindavan, of which there were at least two, maybe three. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, those trips helped to make it firm up uh, the connection between the Vrindavan Goswamis and the devotees of Bengal as as their literature did, as Chaitanya Charitamrita did and so forth. So um, there's a little bit of history. It's a long uh, discussion that, that, that uh, an interesting one that, that these topics I've, I've raised uh, could um, um, give rise to, but in a short period of time here, and with regard more directly to your question, certainly it's, uh, it's, it's, it's no harm and good to be derived from um, having regard for Janava Takarani, Janava Devi, Kijay. So, is there any um, does that help? Is there any? Um, further question that that brings up or comment before we go forward? Kriparam? No, I am here. I am here. <laughs> Thanks, Hila Tripurari Maharas. No, I guess not. Okay, next question. Do you want to ask the other one that you had, Pamela Swami? Sure. Sure. Um, Taras, do you want to ask your question? Interesting, Maharaj. <laughs> Uh, so uh, many times I, I have heard uh, uh, how it is being stressed um, uh, the setup, like the Vedic setup of the of the Vrindavan Lilas, and how in that setup um, Gopis uh, Gopis sacrifice is way more higher than in it would be nowadays. Like they have to leave uh, 
their husbands, um, children, family members, and so on. And they they ran uh, to 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 the forest, or like for the Krishna. But my question would be, <clears throat> what uh, what happened to them in that uh, Vedic setup after? You know, after they ran to the forest, how did the um, like uh, members of of Vrindavan community? How did they see them? Um, like, what happened with with their husbands and with their children, and uh, what happened with themselves when Krishna left Vrindavan? Did they remain in in, in forest or like? I don't, I don't understand this. this. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what happens? They didn't get caught. How is that? <laughs> <laughs> they uh, rendezvous with Krishna in the night when everyone else was asleep, for the most part, and um, and it wasn't found out. And it was a, it was a, it was a rumor. It was a rumor, but there was never any hard evidence to support. Mm-hmm. And uh, although there was there were suspicions and and as I say rumors and whatnot and sometimes evidence was even presented as to Radharani's uh, lack of chastity to her husband Abhimanyu, but that evidence was always proven to be false by the arrangement of Krishna and his friends and um, and, and Radharani's um, maid servants, so they never got found out. Um, everyone knew, but no one could prove it. So <laughs> that's part of the above. Mm-hmm. And um, and um, when Krishna left, then everybody in Vrindavan was in a in a, a state of great uh, separation, and um, there was no time to worry about the chastity of the of the gopis to Krishna, everyone's chastity to Krishna, everyone's love for Krishna is brought out uh, for us to appreciate by Krishna's absence. Krishna's leaving Vrindavan apparently, going to Mathura and Dwarka in the, in the fullest sense is for the purpose of showcasing the love of the inhabitants um, that only increased for him in his absence over a long period of time. And also in Mature and Dwarka, there are instances in which his love for them is shown also to uh, 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 be never never ending and to uh, um, uh, consume him more than the love of all of his 16,108 queens uh, together. And, and they know that too. Sometimes in Dwarka, Krishna would dream at night and call out the names of the gopis. And, and the queens whom he was married would hear that and they would know. So that's where it's, that he was more in Vrindavan in his physical absence than he was present in Dwarka in his physical presence, because we are wherever our heart is, wherever our mind is. So the chapters of the Bhagavatam concerning Matura and Dwarka Leela are really showcasing the Vrindavan Leela indirectly. And then, of course, the Leelas that precede his leaving are directly um, emphasizing the, the, the measure of the Prem in, in Vrindavan, and particularly the uh, or Kibov from the Gopis. Thank you very much. So Sharad asked a question in the chat, and I'm just gonna read that. Um, okay. so um, she says, Haribol Dandavats, my question is, can I confirm that the Guru Maharaj is responsible for the feelings of the devotees or disciples' sense of progress in sadhana, as well as in the as the as well as the path of bhakti, 
Since the devotional path is not a material goal or desire, can the disciple not be concerned with progress? Well, I think that uh, certainly we feel that our guru has given us the opportunity to take up bhakti and teaches us about it exemplifies the teaching through the example also teaches us and um, as such our participation in in Krishna Bhakti is um, the result of our Guru's uh, grace and while at the same time uh, grace is a prominent factor, it does not do away with effort. So there, both of these, grace and effort, they uh, go together in our progress. Let's say, for example, we are blessed with the opportunity for bhakti, then to what extent will we take it up hmm? and make some effort take advantage of that, to embrace that opportunity. And there's a nice example in the, in the, in, in the Brajalila of how um, Yasoda was able in the Dhamadar Lila to tie up Krishna ultimately um, after great um, effort. And uh, in her effort while she was trying, no matter how much rope she put together, um, it was always two inches too short in terms of being able to make a knot and tie him to the grinding mortar as she did. Um, but at some point, seeing her effort and sincerity, which was an effort not to let him go. She was afraid that she had chastised him and now he would run away. So she wanted to, to, to bind him there and keep him there. Such was her um, parental affection and being overwhelmed by that Krishna then allowed her to tie him just with the ribbon in her hair which was much shorter than all the rope she had put together so the two inches are thought to be symbolic of um, effort and grace, both uh, are elements that uh, need to be in place for our spiritual progress. Now, that said, it is also possible that one could become fully um, spiritually perfect simply by grace. That's possible. There are some rare examples of that. But the more prominent example, of which there are so many, is um, perfection through sadhana, which involves some effort and uh, which is an expression, the, the, the opportunity to take it up of grace. And in another sense, even within the perfection through sadhana, through effort. Our effort is an effort to get grace. Hmm? So it's a peculiar type of effort. It's very different from the effort in jnana or in yoga, which is the which, which are not grace-based based paths. They're effort-based paths. So they're ascending from my own resources, relying on them, employing them to make progress. Bhakti, on the other hand, is relying on a dispensation from above hmm, and an effort to, to get that, uh, increase that dispensation. So if we make an effort to get grace, that's a peculiar and particular type of effort, but it's an effort um, none, nonetheless. So... Um, so should we be concerned with our uh, progress, is your question, 
or is the progress just a question of the guru presses buttons and we, we, we progress as, as he wants us to? No, uh, he wants us to be concerned about uh, making spiritual progress. And part of that is, is his concern or her concern for us understanding the teachings. Well, still, therefore, we have sessions like this, that the questions like this can be asked and the teachings can be more clearly understood, which um, should uh, fuel our practice, clear our doubts so that we can uh, proceed um, and so forth. So just just by asking the question, you're making an, making an effort. So both effort and grace are required. I hope that answers your question. Yes, thank you. It does actually. It's um, it's a kind of head versus heart, and or head and heart thinking together. That's that it's just very interesting to <laughs> thank you. That's all, Hare Krishna. As I often say, we should use our head to soften our heart. So that's lovely. Thank you. Yes. The place for the head. The place for the effort. Um, but it's not. It doesn't play the same role that it does in other endeavors. All right, what else? Another question? Um, so Eric put also put his question in the chat because he's having some issues with his mic. So this might take a minute. Um, Dandavat and good morning, Maharaj. My question is regarding some details of Vaishnav dietary standards. I know that some devotees vary from a being... Slower, a little slower so that the translators can... Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'll do that. Um, should I just... I'll start over. Um, my question is regarding some details of Vaishnav dietary standards. I know that some devotees vary from being standard lacto-vegetarian to being fully vegan with, um, with their only exception um, being consuming dairy from ahimsa sources. In both cases, especially the latter, ahimsa seems to be a major motivating factor as, from my understanding, Krishna does not accept offerings um, of foodstuffs, which are products of gratuitous harm done to living entities. However, I am a bit confused as to why it seems that eggs are universally considered non-acceptable for Vaishnavs. I know that in general, just as with, with commercially produced dairy, eggs are produced through the process of gratuitous harm. However, if ahimsa milk is considered okay, why would eggs produced in a similarly non-violent manner not be acceptable? Is it because eggs are inherently in the lower modes of material nature or Krishna personally does not like them under any circumstances or is it for some other reason? I'm not sure, but I... Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think that uh, it has been for a long time a Vaishnav practice in all schools of Vaishnavism to uh, not eat eggs. And I think that um, the reason for that is the is, is related to, as you say, um, ahimsa. And um, so what you are referring to, as I understand it, are practices of producing eggs that don't involve um, the ahimsa of, I guess, killing the chick in the egg that are um, available in our industrial uh, society. Uh, practices in uh, farming, uh, techniques, uh, animal husbandry, and so forth, agricultural techniques that were uh, not in place in an in, uh, agrarian-based culture and at times when the texts, Vaishnav texts were written, uh, the principal texts and the uh, sects were formed and so on and so forth. Um, 
So one could make a case um, for uh, egg eating, but I think that um, Vaishnavs tend to find the idea unpalatable because uh, it's connection with blood and flesh in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, nonetheless. Um, and so I, I, in that case, I don't think it's a question as much of a hymns as you say, but of uh, something desirable um, to eat. Mm-hmm. And um, it's certainly not hard to avoid, although I guess in modern society, a lot of people put um, in, in, in packaged foods, eggs are used um, quite a bit. And devotees tend to uh, av- avoid them uh, for those reasons. So I, I think that's the basic idea. I don't eat eggs. I don't uh, recommend eating un- what unfertilized eggs. Um, uh, so it's a short answer. Hmm. Obviously, dietary concerns um, are somewhat um, relative, different cultures, different individuals uh, may have different needs, necessities at different times uh, and so forth from a physical health point of view. um, Exceptions can be made uh, to the norm um, and so forth. But yeah, I think not only in, in Vaishnava, sectors, but in the religious sectors of, of Hinduism in general, Gyan, Yoga, Karma Marg also, uh, lacto-vegetarian diet has been the standard for um, centuries. No reason to change that, unless, as you say, uh, the, cons- the consumption of uh, milk products is... Uh, uh, too much tied to uh, to to violence to pull on the stomach and feel offerable. So, what else? Gurmash, can I ask you a question? Can you hear me, Gurmash? Can, can you hear Gurunishta, Gurudev? No, but he's a vegan, so. <laughs> Go ahead. Um. Wait, try, yeah, try speaking and see if, do you have the English and mute original audio, Grunishta? I think I do. Let me check. Oh, I actually, I don't because I logged off and came back on. Okay, it should be. Grunish, can you hear me now? No, he can't. Grunish? You can hear him, but I can't. Huh? Yeah. Can you hear me I, now? Yeah. Morning. Morning, Grunish. Um, I quickly looked like what the biological uh, composition of eggs are and it's like basically cells and I was thinking like milk's also made out of cells like there's white white blood cells and some other types of cells so if you break it down to that level what is actually the difference because if it's an unfertilized egg it's not there's no blood or flesh in it it's just cells and it's a byproduct of of the body of the animal yeah, I'm not a biologist, but it doesn't sound like there's a big difference. I would just uh, say that um, if there's no compelling reason to eat eggs and they're easily avoidable, it would be, um, I don't, uh, I would uh, uh, go with a longstanding uh, tradition uh, in terms of offering uh, foods to the deity. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I would say someone is in a circumstance traveling, they eat some uh, baked goods with such eggs, uh, they're not going to go to hell or anything like that. Uh, uh, especially if they use the energy for, for Krishna Bhakti, ultimately, which we should do with whatever we, we eat. And that in itself makes it into it, makes it 
in effect, into an offering, not the same kind of offering as when we make a formal offering with devotion and so forth and, uh, and so on. But um, um, a kind of an offering that can be made consciously by those who are, you know, maybe live an active life, don't, don't live in, a, in an ashram. So, yeah, I don't have any uh, uh, religious uh, reason or objection other than, like I say, for uh, unless there's a compelling reason to eat them, I would su- suggest to follow the tradition and avoid them. Does that help? Yeah, thank you. A couple of devotees in the chat said that the egg has a potential to become a being, whereas milk doesn't turn into a calf. What do you think about that argument? Well, I think the the discussion was about unfertilized eggs. Aren't there, I mean, I'm not an expert on this. Aren't there unfertilized eggs that can't possibly turn into a... Yeah. And that's why uh, Eric was considering it to be, you know, not a concern of Himsa because there's there's nothing to die in there. Hmm? Yeah. Um, you know, then I don't know what the act of creating unfertilized eggs is. Um, I mean, you know, overall, the the chicken and egg industry is, is not a very pretty industry, as I understand it. Um, um, so, you know, and then back to your argument, well, what's the difference between eggs and milk? There's a big difference for me. <laughs> Just the, you know, but just just to think about it, eating an egg is a lot different than eating than, than drinking milk. Um, but maybe that's just what I'm accustomed to. Um, so yeah, uh, I, again, I'm not sure what what's involved in creating unfertilized eggs, but for the most part, the chicken industry is is in the egg industry is it's not very pretty, is not free from um, from violence as far as. I know. I mean, it's important to know with regard to violence in this regard or himsa, that the Vaishnavas are not Jains. You know, their main focus is is, is Nam Sankirtan, not Ahimsa. The Jains, you know, main focus is Ahimsa, and therefore you can find them wearing masks even when there's not a pandemic. Um, So that they don't accidentally breathe in insects, you know, unless it's absolutely necessary, something like this. So, um within within reason and and you know that they may be uh in times gone by acharyas determined that to be something like well if you have to if insects are killed in the process of growing something for the deity or collect or or um walking in his service and, and and so on and so forth uh keeping an area clean um there, there's no that that's acceptable. So they had a uh, kind of a, a moving goalpost, you could say, on what involved a himsa that was not absolute, as in the case, uh, more so the case of of Jains. And um, you know, I do see a sometimes a, a leaning on the part of uh, uh, devotees towards more of a Jain idea of uh, Ahimsa, which is uh, um, probably, you know, you know, putting more emphasis on, on something that, uh, on it than, than necessary. Um, Bhakti is very uh, different than the other disciplines within, within the Jain school, which is kind of like Tyag, renunciation, the path of Jnana, uh, the path of yoga, and so forth. It's so uh, capable of making up for what is otherwise thought to be a shortcoming in other traditions that um, that, 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 that needs to be emphasized and understood, you know, not to, not to a point of fault where you get some anti no mean kind of a situation and there's there's no effort it's just grace you know god saved me because i can do whatever i want i can't do anything i'm not perfect we hear that in christianity and sometimes you can hear that kind of a 
um, um, thinking in in contemporary Vaishnavism as well. But um, but it is very powerful bhakti and very capable of of um, making up for, as I say, what would be otherwise a shortcoming and in a disqualification for participation in another path. So, uh, but and again, so ahimsa is is uh, is there's some there's some caveat to it that it's not an absolute. Um, we're not uh, you know pacifists in the full measure of the term. There's a, there's a place for what would appear to be violence also to, to protect the deity or you know uh, something to that 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 effect. Um, and so. Yeah, uh, as as previous charges have argued, and and set the goalposts at a certain place with regard to ahimsa. Well, you do have to look at the culture and the society and the times and so forth, and how they differ from the times in which we live. An agrarian culture now to an industrial society, um, and uh, let's take you know another example. Maybe they take I don't know how they do it. Maybe they take stems, stem cells from a from a, from an animal from a cow and they make non they make vegetarian meat i know that uh the founder of microsoft i forget his name the wealthy fellow he was involved in that project well gates i think it, bill gates for some time i don't know if he still is but creating an actual meat real meat that didn't involve any ahimsa hmm? so you know there's a there's a, a question they were confronted with that previous acharyas weren't confronted with, and is that acceptable? You know, um, is that offerable? Those are interesting interesting discussions. I, I think it, it, you know, as with fertilized eggs, something like that does fall into something that's not violent. It may not be as de, as desirable um, as pakoras, uh, you know, <laughs> and so forth, uh, but. You know, there again, I said, as I said in the beginning, dietary concerns are are somewhat um, relative, and uh, somebody asked me when I was going to Brazil. I think it was um, anyway. Somebody asked me what uh, what 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 did I eat? You know, and so I said, well, you know, whatever you guys like down there, probably is, you know one of the best. Uh, Brazilian vegetarian dishes would be what you could put your heart into and, and you think tastes really good. I'd like to get to know you more. So whatever that might be. And then he said, what about pizza? I said, well, everybody likes pizza. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course, you know, it hadn't been introduced to India yet at the time of Krishna. So Pujapat Sridharmarsh considered the idea, which is prominent in Jagannath Puri, where they... They're smartas, notably, and they're, the pujaris are members of the Shankar Sampradaya. So their idea of bhakti is different than ours. Um, and they're very rule-oriented. Uh, and they, my understanding is that they won't offer anything to the deity of Jagannath that was not growing in India at the time when Krishna was said to have uh, been manifest on earth. Um, so many, many vegetables... Um, um, even I think green chilies were not growing in India at the time. They won't offer to him, um, which is, of course, a very prominent aspect of Indian vegetarian cuisine otherwise. So that idea, anyway, Pujapajinamash considered rather a provincial in relation to the universal deity, Jagannath, the Lord of the universe. I heard uh, or I read somewhere or someone told me that Harida Shastri um, who uh, passed away some years ago was a learned scholar and um, uh, guru of Satyanarayan Das Babaji's publishing the Sandarvas from the Jeeva Institute said that um, and I've I've used this um, before I like the idea that the best thing to offer is the thing that you feel that you, you like the most because then you'll, you'll be able to put the most, most devotion in it so that's a universal kind of a um, perspective so um you know there's there's some latitude there's some some room um for what's uh 
what's offerable. In the Gita, Krishna says, whatever you do, whatever you offer, give away, whatever you eat, I think he includes the word eat, I do it as an offering unto me and I'll accept it. That's considered a form of, of karma mishra bhakti. You, you, you do whatever you want, but you, but you offer it to Krishna. Um, instead of offering yourself to Krishna and your activities, you do your activities that you like and then you offer them to Krishna. It's a, it's a, it's a, also a, a, a form of, of bhakti. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, I'm saying that, having said that, I don't think that offering pakoras is, 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 is pure bhakti and offering pizza is mixed bhakti. <laughs> um, so there's room, there's some latitude and, and these things are, uh, it's a whole new, new world here and how we might apply the term ahimsa in relation to dietary considerations may be, may be, may be different um, than they were in the past. So my general thoughts on the subject. Anything else? Um, Gurnishta, any comment? No comment, sounds excellent, thank you. Okay, well, with students like you, it's hard to go wrong. Um, so I think that there's just the other question from Colombia left. If you want to answer another question. Okay. So, I, I don't understand the question. What's the question? Yeah. Yeah. So he's questioning whether what is written in the book is what Prophet actually wrote or whether uh, there's something got lost in the translation. Yeah. Well, I doubt that something got lost in the translation. I think that the problem uh, uh, with the comments of Prabhupada in the verse is that they um, are readily taken to imply that he is saying that Prem Bhakti uh, is uh, inherent or dormant in in the jiva, and um, that's of course not the teachings of the Goswamis. There are a lot of philosophical problems with that idea. Um, but that said, um, and I'm not looking at his commentary, but the word "prem," for example, uh, there are other places where it says the prem is dormant in the heart. Um, I have seen um, on a number of occasions the founding acharyas, the six Goswamis and Vishwanath Chakrapitakur later, Krishna Skaviraj, have used the word prem in different ways also. Sometimes they use prem to refer to love hmm? and not the perfection of love in bhakti, prem bhakti. It's one thing to say, in other words, it's one thing to say prem, Another thing to say, more specifically, prem bhakti. Prem bhakti is one thing. Prem sometimes is used to, re, to, to, be, to be saying prem bhakti, but sometimes it may be used not to be saying prem bhakti. Hmm? I'll give you an example of that. At the end of the Rasalila narrative uh, on the part of Sukadev, Raj Parikshit asks, how is it possible for uh, Krishna to be... Um, what appears to be an adulterous type of, of, of lover when he's the embodiment of, of Dharma. Hmm? How can we put these things together? And Prikshit Mark and Sukadev answers in a couple of ways. And one of the answers that he gives, um, um, he says that, um, what's that verse, Mark? Shadhan Vatan Nusha Varnayadya. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the, the commentary is that first, like for, I think maybe Vishnu, first Prem comes in the heart and then uh, the disease of the heart, which is the lust for things, uh, is removed. And so, so how can, how can one have Prem Bhakti and have Anarthas that have not been removed when the teaching clearly is that Prem Bhakti is, is, is a stage in which one is free from all uh, Anarthas. So uh, sometimes, of course, Bhakti Param Pratilabdhim. Uh, so anyway, uh, Prem is sometimes used, and I think it's used in that way in a commentary, maybe of Vishwanath, uh, to say, but I've seen it in other places, um, to, to, to just referring to some love for Krishna. Like say, for example, um, all of you have some love for Krishna. That's just a fact. You don't have the perfect love for Krishna, but you have some love for Krishna. Mm -hmm. So sometimes Prem is used in that way. Mm -hmm. And so it's possible, I'd have to look at the commentary of, of Prabhupada, um, that uh, what are you saying? What Bhaktivedanta Thakur is saying in some places um, that appears to be speaking about bhakti being present may more be uh, in their minds at the time of writing, speaking about a potential uh, to love that the jiva has. Uh, the jiva has a capacity uh, for praying, for loving. And if it's turned towards Krishna, then you know, Krishna becomes the object of that of that love. So the jiva has some some has some potential, uh, loving potential. I think in the nectar of devotion, Prabhupada gives an example of that a child has a potential to walk, hmm? and after crawling for some time, tries because the potential is within the child. It's possible hmm? for the child. It's not like walking is dormant inside of the infinite. Infant, but the potential is there. And when the circumstances are right, then because that potential is there, it expresses itself. Now, inert matter doesn't have the potential to love Krishna, the Maya Shakti, but the but the but the, but the chit shakti in the form of Jiva Jiva Tattva, Jiva Shakti, does have that capacity. That's uh, Tasta Shakti, it has that potential. So given the right circumstances. So it may be, um, I, I, I tend to think that if I was to sit with uh, Prabhupada or Bhaktivinoda and say, you know, you said this here, this is the teaching um, of the Goswamis, this looks like it could be taken, you know, in a wrong way. And uh, the result being someone, reader could think that this is what um, you're teaching. Is that what you want to say? I think they would, that kind of substantive editing, they would say, oh, well, no, no, we, we're not, we don't, you're right, yeah, we don't want to say that. Um, and that kind of substantive editing was not something that the BBT um, did. They did copy editing, but not really in any, they weren't capable, but they didn't understand the philosophy the teaching well enough to be able to say, you said this over here, you said that over here, the Goswamis say this here, which which one do you want to say, or how do you want to, you know, um, uh, harmonize the two, um, um, which a substantive editor would, you know, bring to one's, one's attention to uh, to consider. Mm -hmm. uh, so probably didn't have those kind of editors. And I think that's the lacking um, that you may find in his books, I'm sure the Bhakti Vinod didn't have them either, and he was a rather prolific writer. And it's not that he just closed his eyes and wrote, and the pen just, you know, uh, expressed his bhava. I mean, writing is an art, and there are any number of ways of saying a thing that that in, 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 that that could be taken in one way or another way by different readers and so forth. It's quite an art to like try to 
really re refine what's being written so that it will really ex clearly express what the author wants to say to as many minds as possible and have the least degree possibility of being mis misunderstood. So that's a possibility that um, where you find these uh, with regard to this particular topic, for example, that Padmanabhar has, has written about extensively, um, is bhakti inherent, is preem inherent. Um, Maybe a way of thinking about that uh, particular issue. I haven't read all Padmanabhar's book yet, which is a work in progress. He may have addressed that as I'm speaking about it there. Um, but um, those are my thoughts on it. Um, you know, the BBT was more inclined to write down whatever whatever Prophet said, just make it correct grammatically, you know, put a comma in the right place and period in the right place and so forth. Um, you can look at Prophet's original works in the original commentary on the first three volumes of the Bhagavatam and then look at the the finished BBT product of the same, and you can see what kind of editing they did there too. In his, according to his desire, to make his English up up to up to up to date and and um, more um, readable by the English public. So, does that help? Does that answer your question? Does that give you some? Sí, Maharaj, muchas gracias. Uh, which verse are we talking about? Prabhupada gives no, no commentary on that? Huh. Well, oh, that's another thing. The translations were done by, by, by Prabhupada's disciples, not by himself, Chaitanya Charitamrita. Was done mostly by Nitai Das, um, and so yeah. I mean, uh, what can you do? Uh, Prabhupada was English was not his first language. Bengali was not Nitai's first language. For the for the right the perfect translation, you need somebody who's who's adept and proficient, um, fluent, I should say, in both the languages that are. Um, that are in play and and fluent at the level of the language that it's written in. So to be fluent at the level of the, of the language, in, in this case, Bengali, and, and then fluent uh, in an educated you know, form of English. Uh, you know, that, that's not entirely what we have in Prabhupada's books. And, um, so, you know, there are something that was manifest at a particular time in, in the history of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, an important time. And uh, a lot, uh, it seems, needed to be done in a, in a short amount of time. So there's, there's so much to consider when you look at it like that in terms of furthering the lineage and writing about it. Um, and so forth. I consider, for example, my writing to be, you know, crossing the T's yeah. and dotting the I's of, uh, in terms of um, restating some of the things, for example, that Prabhupada has said uh, to give clarity to them and so on. So, yeah, it's an interesting subject. I appreciate the question. So I guess we don't have any more questions beyond that. Well, good. We're out of time, too. So, yeah. Okay. Um, well, thank you so much for being with us and answering questions. Yeah. I believe um, this class coming this week on Advaita Saptami, also. Mm, uh, maybe that's on Wednesday. Is it on Wednesday? Thursday morning at this time, we'll be discussing Shirvita Charja. And um, also on Saturday, 
um, at like 10 a.m. we're going to do some sort of Zoom memorial service for Karnam. And I'll make posts about that on Facebook and I'll see if um, Nanda can send out invites. Um, yeah, and I'll give more information about that for everyone who feels inclined to attend. Um, yeah, so that's Saturday at 10 a.m. But yeah, I'll send out more info about that. Our number to Kijai. Jai. Okay. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Divine Grace, Bhakti Vedanta, Guru Maharaj, Tripurai Swami, Kijai. Jai. Jai. Oh, I love it when Sumati does that. It's nice that we have the virtual too now. Kijai. Yeah. Haribo. Okay. Haribo, everyone. Haribo. Thank you, Aradhana. Aradhana, Devi Dasi. Jai. Jai. Oh, thanks, everyone.